All right, we're live. Hey, welcome everybody. We're back for another podcast for Valor Adventures and uh, good to be with you today. Andrew and I are here once again with you and wanted to, uh, as, as, we're, as we're well into hunting season now, a lot of people are out having a lot of success. I'm seeing, seeing a lot of good pictures of a lot of success out there. So congratulations to all of you that are that are having that right now. A lot of archery is going on, mostly. Um, been some uh, rifle antelope hunts, I guess. And uh, I've seen a couple muzzleloader already going on, muzzleloader hunts. You're going on a muzzleloader hunt this week. Yep. And tomorrow you're leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Get there a couple days early, look around. Where are you going? Colorado. Oh, all right. And uh, you got a, your buddy's got a muzzleloader tag, right? Yep, muzzleloader elk. So in Colorado... Muzzleloader is open sight, iron sight only, right? Yep. You can't use sabots. Got to wear orange. Just some, you know, every state's different. Um, but it should be a pretty good tag. You guys should have a good time. Yeah, it should be money. I, just, I love I love elk hunting pre-rut. Like if you get them in the middle of the rut, then that's fun. But if you can get them pre-rut where they're not quite grouped, that's my absolute favorite time to hunt them. You might get a bull coming in looking for a cow, right? Yeah, real easy to make mad. You're not trying to pull a, a bull off the cows. Yep usually so yeah they should start screaming about now yeah they were talking last week yeah good yeah we're first part of september here so um it's it's uh it's on man it's on well good uh so yeah i mean today um we wanted to talk about uh hunting the steep and deep country the rugged terrain uh, if you're out west, you know, we live in Utah. I grew up actually in northern Utah, so I actually hunted the Wasatch Front quite a bit growing up. And that's really steep country. And, you know, so we, we kind of, I guess, I, I think we hunt that a lot, right? Even here in southern Utah now where we live, live in St. George. Um, Pine Pine Valley is the unit I hunt a lot, you know, or, or you know, Zion. And same thing. There's a lot of, a lot of big country there and uh, you know, maybe we could talk uh, about that today. We thought that we, we might be able to bring some insight on that. And, you know, if you're, if you're newer to hunting or you've hunted for a while, you know, you might get something out of this that you haven't tried before. I know I, I listen to guys about tips all the time and get different ideas from them, you know, so we, we just want to make sure that every, everything you, you do, um, adds up to success, right? I don't know if there's one particular tip you can give somebody that's an end all be all right, but everything kind of adds up if you put it all together. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, uh, going into a steep or going into an area like that, Andrew, I mean, where do you typically start? You're going to hunt elk. It's going to be pretty rugged terrain there where you're going. Where have you guys started? I'm sure you guys have already started your scouting. Uh, you haven't, have you been there personally yet? I haven't yet. Chandler's been, I think he's gone four times up there. Then he lived right there. So he knows the unit pretty well. So usually I think what we're going to do is, like when you look at scouting, I think it's important to find the animals, but I think it's almost more important to figure where they're going to get pushed to. And they're usually going to get pushed to places that people don't want to go, right? So that's kind of our focus is we've got two or three crap holes that are burns with water in the bottom. So they got new feed from the burns, got water, and then there's still one slope that's thick pines. So I've got places to hide. Yeah, and it's about seven and a half, eight miles in. So shouldn't, okay. shouldn't run into too many people. All right, good. Okay, so there's a few things there we could talk about. Um, look for look for water. 
usually means there's there's better grass, right? Elk elk can tell a difference. You might look at grass, might look all like it's the same color, but they can tell what grass has more, more I guess, moisture in it or whatever, right? So typically that that if they've got some water more recently, it's going to be the better grass, right? And so if there's water there, it's obvious. But if you're going into an area and there's a super steep mountain in, in front of you, uh, and maybe you're looking at a topo map before you go, or, you know, we have Google Earth, Earth now too, right, which is really handy, or Onyx or whatever. Spoiled. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you can get on there before going on the hunt, or, I mean, luckily Chandler's been able to actually be there and see it and, and, and personally be there. But if, if you can't always do that, you can do a lot of homework before you get there, right? And you can you can look and see, you know, where there's, there's steep terrain, and then you can see where it evens off a little bit. Like, you can look for, like, the, the shelves, right? And where's water going to usually be held up if there is any? I mean, it's been a pretty dry year. It's probably been drier where you're going, I would imagine. Yeah. Really dry. I think it's been dry about everywhere. So you, you definitely are going to want to look probably for those those shelves, right? Yep. And Google uh, Earth is amazing for finding water. Like, you can spend hours just finding little pockets. I mean, hours that yeah. are unmarked. Like, Onyx is cool because they'll have a couple things marked. But if you get on Google Earth and just cover ground, you know, because you can cover ground while you're sitting down. It's freaking awesome. So I've, I just find, like, if I'm in a honey unit, I'll spend a couple hours on Google Earth just marking water. Yeah. Especially if, if it's dry or there's a lack of it. Right. Obviously, like if, like what I ran into is like my antelope hunt last year, perfect example of what screwed me, is you're in the middle of the desert, right? There's like nothing, completely desolate, but there was two springs and it didn't pool anywhere. There was just basically two massive streams of water. Mm. So that sucks because then you can't figure out where to sit. But if you're elk hunting or whatever, it's like they're going to be, it's going to be a pond, you know? And it seems like, I don't know if you've noticed too, but it seems like animals like to drink out of still water that's sitting rather than running water. Yeah, I think so. I think, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, sometimes the only challenge with Google Earth is it's not like up to date, right? So yeah. if it's a really dry year, you might see where well, there's a pond normally and you get there and there's yeah, no where water. there was water. <laughs> yeah. I know out on the strip this year, like all the ponds were dry first part of June. Luckily, we ended up getting a lot of water and they're like all full now. But man, it was not looking good out there. Everything was just totally empty. And one rainstorm came in and filled them all up. But uh, I think that's why it's important to definitely do your research on Google Earth. But until you get there, you might, you know, you might want to have a bunch of options. And, and get there a couple of days early to knock them out. So yeah. that's our season. The season doesn't start till Saturday. We're going to get there Thursday. So we can just start checking boxes off the list. So I think if you have all of your, all of your ducks in a row, in a sense, getting there, it's like then you can just eliminate all the areas that they're not and then focus on on actually hunting in where you're because usually if you just show up and hunt it usually takes you a day or two to figure out what's actually going on yeah so if you get there a couple of days early yeah it's like then you're headed again yeah yeah i mean if you're going into a new area and you want to find elk sometimes finding elk can be tough right but if you're going into an area where you know there are elk some of these things are going to help you get into them probably sooner than later right yeah Uh, if it's a hot dry year another thing to look for is the north facing slope is probably going to hold more elk than the south facing slope they, yep. they like to get in that shade it's usually if there's if there is water it's usually going to be more likely to be on the north facing slope um and then i would also say you know they, they're probably not going to hang out in the bottom like you said they're, they're probably going to be hanging out towards the tops yep so if i'm uh, i don't know how you do it but i, I mean usually if i'm looking at hunting a and this is elk and i haven't hunted a lot of elk i've hunted a lot of deer you know but um hunted a little bit of elk You've hunted a lot more elk than I have, I think. But 
you know, looking at the trails, I mean, typically uh, if you're going to, you know, uh, something you can do is you could actually sit a trail if it's heavily traveled and it's not a bad way to hunt. And uh, if you, if you, the good thing about a trail is you can hunt the downhill side of it in the morning when the thermals are coming down, the wind's likely to be coming down, right? And then you can just switch to the other side of it for the last half of the hunt or for the day, right? Mm -hmm. When the thermals are coming back up. And if it's a heavily traveled trail and you're up towards the top of the mountain where they're, where they're traveling, you know, they feel safer up there. And so if it's a, like a real thick area or something, and maybe you're hunting with, a, with archery, you're hunting with a bow or rifle, or rifle doesn't matter. Um, that, that's something that can be, uh, uh, especially if, if you know there's a, uh, you got, like I say, we're talking about like shelves, like you got a, a place where there could be water, you know, close to that. And they're traveling from that shelf to the top. And, and, and when you're looking at the tops too, the, if you, if you watch those trails, a lot of times those trails will follow, not just towards the top, they'll, they'll like, they'll, they'll go right along the top of the mountain and, and then over the saddles. Right. Yep. So another good place to sit could be a saddle. And uh, people wonder what a saddle is. A saddle looks like a horse saddle, right? Yeah, I mean, go look at a mountain. It looks like a saddle. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it is. And, and uh, you know, no different than humans. Humans, if they're going to go over a mountain, if, they can, if there's a saddle, they're going to go over the saddle probably versus over the very tip top, right? Save yourself the work. Animals are going to be similar that way. They're also going to feel more safe if they stay up high. Right. Yeah, and thermals I think are even more important. It's like if you're hunting steep country, then thermals are going to have a lot bigger play in what you're doing than if you're hunting flat ground. Yeah. So usually what I do is you figure out obviously wherever wherever they start, but my my main thing that I focus on is I get in a mad dash. I want to get on the same elevation as, especially with the elk, I want to get on the same elevation as them as fast as I can, especially in the morning because you want to beat before the wind flips. So if you can get on the same elevation and beat that wind switch then, because it doesn't matter if it's blowing uphill or downhill, if you're on the same elevation, then you're still good. Yeah, because you can move. You can, you can change change your position quickly. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, uh, hunting archery on the Wasatch. You know, I've, I've done that for probably five or six years, just to me, gotten so ridiculously overhunted. But it used to be nobody did it, because it's, it's, you know, it's tough terrain, and most guys didn't want to go do it. Now it's becoming more popular, I think, and guys don't mind going out. and. But we, we were like the... You know, you're crazy for in that that area. It's uh, straight up and straight down, and it was. But what was really cool about it is in the mornings, you know, you're 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 we would start at the bottom of a canyon and just start hunting up, you know, all morning, and then you know towards the end of the day when we come back down, the thermals were switching and we were hunting on our way back down. And uh, you know, thermals would switch. I don't know, maybe 10, 11 a.m. started to warm up a little bit, and that's kind of when things would usually usually switch. You know, depending on the weather that day. But um, really fun hunting, especially if if we got some snow down low, um, you know, it really changed things up for deer. You know, I mean, obviously the rut changes everything, but cool thing about the, up there, you know, I remember one year hunting uh, Thanksgiving weekend and big old snowstorm came in uh, and uh, we went to, uh, I think it was right after Thanksgiving dinner. I, I, I told my wife, I go, I got to go. This is like prime conditions, right? And it was a blizzard outside, but I wanted to go out, you know, so... Anyway, she goes, yeah, go for it. So I, I, I ran out there, and it was, it was a blizzard, and I just started hiking up the mountain. And deep snow, you know, two, three feet of snow, even on the benches. And it was just magical. I mean, deer everywhere, fighting all over the place, you know, archery, yeah, just hunting mule deer in the rut, archery, spot and stock. It was just awesome. So, um, but, yeah, it was, it was just a 
it was just cool. Uh, and, and the snow really brought those deer down lower too. That, you know, back then, now I don't know that it would. I think the deer are so pressured up there, they stay up high uh, no matter what till the hunts are over a lot of the time. Um, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, uh, and, and I, I would always look for trails, you know, I'd, I'd look for the, the trails and, and, uh, sometimes we'd hike right up right near the trails and, uh, look for the, there, we'd get up to where there would be like a bull cause you know, they don't want to necessarily deer and elk, either of them necessarily want to stand aside all the time. Right. They like to get up where it's flatter if they can too. So I, I to me, that's, that's, that's pretty valuable. You know, if you're hunting the steep steep yeah. stuff right especially like if you just remember like thermals i think confuse a lot of people like hot air rises right so if it's cold in the morning dropping yeah heats up rises which is nice because then it's predictable that's like like hunting flat ground it's like when the, you hear people always saying the wind swirls it's like it'd be a nightmare it's like because you don't know what the freak's going on it's right like, but if you're hunting steep stuff you know exactly what's going to be going on almost down to like you said like the hour yeah that's true so there are some advantages, even though it, it does take a lot more physical effort, which is why, you know, your fitness is important, comes into play. You know, some guys go, why do you got to be so fit to go hunting? Well, go hunt some of this. Because we hunt like men. Yeah, go, <laughs> go hunt some of this country. Why wouldn't you want to be fit, right? I yeah. mean, sheep hunting is is like that. You know, you're, you're, you're up on the steep, steep mountains and uh, going straight up, straight back down, straight up, straight back down. I mean, you're going up and over stuff all the time. Yeah, elk definitely make you earn it. Big time. Yeah, I think a lot of people misjudge what, it's gonna, what a typical elk hunt is. It's, oh, for sure. It's perfect, a lot of work. Perfect example. I had one of my buddies from Texas I went to high school with. He came up. He drew a, drew a really good unit here in Utah, rifle tag, no points, freaking piece of crap, and uh, <laughs> came up. So he's, he's from Texas, so they hunt leases, right? So he'd never killed anything on public, public ground. So I had it set up. We actually had a trespass fee opportunity. This guy had freaking huge bulls on his property. And I asked him, if we could go, we could go do that? He said, or we could go hunt public. He said, well, I'd, I'd love to go hunt public for a couple of days. He said, I want to feel like I earned it. So we ended up killing a bull the next night and coming back out. So there was three three benches and then the bottom. So we dropped off. We were on the first bench on our way down to the second, and he shot it and ended up dying on the second bench. We shot it like 30 yards, and then it rolled down the hill. And uh, he threw up three times coming out. So on the second time, you sitting there puking. I said, Alex, you, see, you feel like you earned it? And he's like, I will never come hunt with you ever <laughs> again <laughs> but he had just had zero he just had zero idea you know yeah. it's like I, I think like when you hear it's gonna suck like elk every single time i kill one and then get it on your back it's like why does anybody ever do yeah. this and then two days later you're ready to do it again yep. but in the minute it really sucks yeah no for sure i mean at least if you kind of know what to expect it helps yeah but yeah a new guy taking a new guy out for the first yeah. time they're going no way this is hell getting get yeah. out of here right and we did that in Alaska where we, I killed a grizzly and a caribou on the same day within a couple hours of each other. And we were like 10 miles in, and that was just the, the closest the plane could get us, and 10 miles in, in crazy terrain, right? We had to cross several streams and rivers, and, man, that pack out was, I mean, I've never felt so much pain ever. I mean, I've done Ironman competitions. I've done marathons. No, that was pain. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's fun. Like I appreciate. Like I've killed I've killed two pretty good bucks just on private property, just pretty much off the road. And then I've killed probably three or four good bucks where you clear the freak back in. Like, and I shot this one in Colorado one time. Not a very big deer. It's like maybe twenty two inches wide, and a full four point decent buck. 
and I shot the wrong deer. So I hammered this buck. We ended up having to pack it like six and a half miles out in a blizzard through deadfall for like three miles uphill. To, it was miserable. Deadfall sucks too. Oh yeah, horrible, horrible. Yeah. But I like when I see that buck's mount versus one of the ones I shot off the road. Even though that one, like I appreciate that one and the memories of that one. I hold like they're so much better than just smacking one off the road. Yeah. You know what else sucks is lava rock. Yeah, or sand, or burns. <laughs> or sand, that yeah. Part of the problem with that bull that we killed on the Nebo was that there was just this two massive fires the year before, just back to back. Yeah. And so we were hiking in like five inches of just soot. So it's like soft, soft sand, uphill. It was like every step's only half a step because your foot sinks into the Yeah, like soot. Alex, yeah. He, he was going through it, man, but it sucked. I'll admit, <laughs> it was rough. And again, Alaska's they got that spongy tundra stuff on mm-hmm. the flats. And that's how that stuff is, right? It's just like, yeah, can I get out of this? Then you get up in the higher country, it feels like a relief, even though you're going up straight up or straight down. You're at least moving. (laughs) Yeah, you're at least moving, and and you're out of the bugs, you know? And uh, so anyway. Yeah, I know. I think something else that I love about hunting the high mountains is getting up as high as I can and glassing. Yeah. And what an advantage that is today with the optics that we are able to have. And, uh, you know, the older I get, the more I'm patient with glassing and take time glassing i used to just i think move way way too much and uh, a couple years ago we were hunting uh, on a mule deer hunt in um, wyoming and up there with uh we were in wilderness area so we had an outfitter with us and young guy and good guy but just just young you know just uh ambitious hard working you know like a lot of those guys are and so we were we we got up got caught up in a major blizzards uh, up on top of the mountain we, we rode up on mules uh set a fire to stay warm i thought i was going to die hypothermia and then luckily a couple hours later it broke and and uh, it started to get nice again and anyway I, we we hiked up to this peak right behind us and uh i said i think we should just sit here and glass for like a while and so we started to like 20 minutes and he, he goes let's go let's go up over here and i go i'm just gonna sit here i said there's a whole there was a whole mountainside, whole hillside, just just glass. Right after it snowed, I knew deer were going to start moving, and so I just sat there. And he was up there, you know, looking at, which is good. That's fine. It would cover more than one area. That's fine. Um, but sure enough, I'm sitting there, and after I don't know, 45 minutes or so, I see this buck at about 1,500 yards pop up over over this little ridge, and I go, "That's a big buck. That's a shooter." And then another one came up, another shooter, and another one came up that was a pretty decent buck too, three bucks, and they're they're feeding right to me. And uh, so, you know, had we been trying to move around and find the deer instead of letting the deer come to us? Now, look, if nothing's moving, then you might need to stop and glass. But I would even argue then, how often have you sat and glassed even a burn where you go, I can see everything in this burn, and you don't, you can't see the deer. Like all you have to, the time. You have to pick them apart, or the elk. Or how many times have you sat in, like, I remember the first year I hunted, I was sitting in a little draw that wasn't, it couldn't have been 150 yards across. Me and my dad are sitting there, I was, think I was 12. We sat there for probably three hours, and then all of a sudden there's deer on the head that were bedded in front of us the entire time. Yep. Yeah. And it's like they know they can't be seen because they just sit there, right? They, they don't move. And that's what's amazing, how deer and elk, how do elk hide? You know, they're so big. And they just do such a great job. So, you know, you talked about burns. Look for burns, right? And why are burns so good to look for in your in your experience? Because there's good stuff to eat. Yeah, good stuff to eat. And you can see. Yeah. I love hunting burns, you yeah. know. And when did the burn happen, right? It happened a year ago, two years, three years ago. I mean, if a burn happened two, three years ago, it was probably. Still good. Yeah. 
Um, so there's some of these burns happen this year. So this year's hunt on those burns probably isn't going to be great, but next year. Phenomenal. Great. Right. So I think burns are, are really good to be, uh, looking for. Um, and then if you're in, if you're in thicker country, that's where you might have to find a good trail and you might have to hunt that trail. You might have to get, you know, just 50 yards, hundred yards off that trail, 25 yards, whatever. If you're hunting archery or rifle, depending where you can see good enough to watch that trail, make sure you're, uh, I, I mean, again, I would, I mean, it just depends if there's water, if there's water close, you could hunt the water, right? You can always do that and hunt, hunt the wallows. Yep. Um, but there might be someone else there. So, so it's just some things you can do that are different than other guys is find those trails and find how they get to that water, how they get up and down that, that face and, uh, sit and watch that. Yeah. Cause most of them are, are very much creatures of habit, you know, unless there's something that interrupts what they do every day. It's like they, they, they don't need to leave. Yeah. They've got it down, you know, but you do have to be careful too. Like, cause they'll figure out, you know, if there's something different, because it's like if they use that trail every single day, it's really easy for them to figure out something's off, yeah. you know? It's like kind of catch-22, but at the same time, it's like you're going to be in the animals. Right. You can't kill animals without being in animals. Right, for did sure. You, did you know? For <laughs> sure. So then I guess another thing is once you do find one, and let's say it's uh, let's say it's 1,500 yards away, now what? Depends on what time of day it is. If it's 1,500 yards away and, and also what you're hunting – and what it's doing. Yeah. So, like, if I'm rifle hunting at 1,500 yards, if it's an elk, and, can, like, I'm real confident at 1,000 with a rifle. So, if it's a rifle, it's going to be a completely different story than bow hunting, you know? So, if I was bow hunting and I find something that's 1,500 yards away, I'll probably just watch it for the night. And then go find it in the morning. And then when I find it in the morning, sit there, wait till it beds, figure out where it beds, then go get set up on it. So, you can get pretty aggressive that way, but nighttime you're kind of limited you know it's like if i was if i was it's either take notes go get him tomorrow night or if i've got a rifle then go spank him <laughs> yeah yep no i i would agree i would agree and uh, you know depending on where the animal is too like uh like my doll sheep i killed last year um we saw him way up on the mountain he was about a mile away we watched him the night we actually watched him for two days we we saw him a couple days prior to that it wasn't uh wasn't we couldn't hunt yet and just watched him, and he kind of just was the same ram. You know, we saw, we were looking at other rams in the area. And uh, the next day, which was the day before opening day, we watched him all day because we kind of, we, we, we decided he was he was a legal ram, and so we just couldn't tell for sure how big he was. So we didn't want to let him go. So we just watched him that entire day and then went to bed that night. We actually ended up camping just below him, but we were behind some bushes where he couldn't see us. And, and actually, we were around a bend. We woke up that morning, got out of our tents, looked up, and he was right above us, way up there, but he was still right above us. And if, if you ever have hunted uh, on those high mountains in Alaska, not just in Alaska, anywhere, you can look down and you can just see everything, right? So he could totally see our tent and everything uh, other than it was covered by a bush. But we had to be careful when we got out of the tent that he didn't see us. But he was up just above just feeding the next morning. And so uh, it worked out really well because there was a ridge that went up to the right of him. And we could hike up behind that ridge. It was cliffs. Like it was just stoop, straight, you know, crazy sheer cliff stuff. But we found a way to get up there, and we got within 450 yards. And then we were really study him, see how big he was, see how old he was, and then decide that we wanted to take him. And I was able to get set up on him and make the shot. 
So that was a situation where you just you, you, you find a way to, if you can get a stalk on them without being seen, of course, is important, but also wind. We had to watch the wind. And uh, so we, we if the wind was the other direction, that wouldn't have probably worked because it, it, it may have because I actually ended up shooting him. He was still 450 yards up the mountain from us, but uh, hard to say. I mean, it was it was blown pretty good up there, but it was swirly, you know, it was kind of swirly up there. So, yeah, it, it just, it, it does, it depends. You know, that, that Wyoming buck I just talked about, the way we got on him, they were feeding towards us, so we let them feed towards us till they started going down the canyon. Then we're like, okay, they're going down the canyon. We got we had to go around, a, it was kind of a bowl, and we had to get around and kind of head them off and pop up over the top, and they were, they had a, actually ended up bedding down, and we shot them at about, mm, I don't know, 650, 650-yard-ish uh, right in there. And killed two bucks. In the best kill shot video ever filmed. Yeah, it was really cool, really cool. So that was that was fun. That's how we that's how we did that one. Um, but yeah, so I think I think you got to learn, you know, take your time and be patient, but also be able to move quick when when needed. And that's how that one was. You know, we we saw the deer, and then okay, they're going to get out of sight. We better make a move. Go time. And we had to we had to kind of halfway run around and get down and get on them. You know. But, uh, yeah, glass, 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 glass. When you find some animals, see what they're doing. I, I would agree with you if it's nighttime and they're, they're feeding, you know, see if you can bed them down and then try to be on them first thing the next morning, see if you can pick them up again. You know, if it's midday or in the morning, you can maybe get make something happen, unless it's archery. Archery and they're a long way away. You might just have to wait till the next day. And that's where patience comes in, right? Yeah. And trying to be trying to be wise. that is one thing that has always impressed me with whitetail guys like as much as i bust their balls and stuff for being whitetail guys like those suckers are patient it's like they will wait until the moon is right the wind is right like they won't even go into their stand like months into season until everything's perfect and then they go in yeah it's like i don't have to pay like i don't have the patience enough for that. or when they do go in they sit those stands for days on end yeah right? i mean it's wild i mean for me i i uh i won't say i i won't hunt in a blind or i won't hunt in a tree stand but I would struggle. I prefer to. I'd see a deer and I'd jump out of the tree and go try to kill Yeah. But, hey, sometimes that's the best way to kill big deer, right? Or big elk or anything for that matter. It's just to sit, be patient. I I might argue that might be the best way to do it. If you can handle sitting and just, you know, being there. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you look at the rifle season in Utah. I mean, what is it? Just over a week. If you sat like a water hole every single day, that chances are something's coming into that, right? Yeah. Um, or sat a good trail on the way to or from that water. Chances are, you know, if you can be alert enough for long enough, something's going to come along. So something to always consider. I mean, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people have killed a lot of big animals just, just doing that. And I guess you don't have to be that in that good of shape for that. There you go. If unless you, unless you're in eight miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. That's the easiest way, I think, to eliminate the competition. Like, I hate nothing more in the world than getting screwed up by other hunters. It's like, it's frustrating, but it's also part of it, you know? Yeah. It's like, you can eliminate most people, but, like, if you get a mile off the road, it is amazing how many fewer people you see. Well, people misjudge it, right? They, they hear something. People go, why do you guys talk about this on your podcast now? Everybody's going to go do it. They won't. Yeah. Because they might go do it. They might go try it once, and they go, that wasn't worth it. Yeah, that sucked. Yeah, I didn't see anything. I, I worked my tail off. I, you know, I'm not going to go back and do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Who's dumb enough to do that? Yeah, that is one thing, too, on, like, wilderness hunts. Like, like, I think there's kind of a sweet spot. I think there's, like, it's surprising how many guys will go eight, nine, ten miles deep. 
And like sometimes like this this Colorado hunt, like that's just where they are. So that's how far we got to go. But there's a lot of times where guys will go eight or nine miles deep and they'll skip amazing country. So a lot of times you can find like a middle ground. Like I think there's a lot of people that go a mile or two in. I think there's quite a few people that go eight or nine miles in. And there's usually nobody that goes like four to six miles. Like sometimes you can find these little pockets where you'll see people passing you, but nobody's actually hunting right there. And that's happened to us frequently in wyoming has happened colorado happens all the time where we'll get in four or five miles and we'll you know we'll go 10 if we have to but you'll find where just people stop yeah well and then i've also seen guys that go right off the flipping road and sit water and kill yeah stuff and good good stuff sometimes right archery mostly yeah um i think usually after so after archery you know at least in utah after archery uh, and a lot of, probably a lot of places they lose their velvet and then they're tough to find through the period of when they lose their velvet in the rut. But that's when most of the Utah hunts are, right? And so you gotta you got to be able to, you, again, use your glass and be up early in the mornings and late at nights when they're starting to come out and try to catch them before they go bed down for the day or go down for the night. Yeah. So when you're talking about like going, especially on like an Alaska hunt, because like I've done several elk hunts where we're in for, you know, up to a week, but it's like when you're talking Alaska, what gear helps you? Because I think being comfortable is very important, allowing you to hunt as long and as hard as you possibly can when you're back in there. It's like, what gear have you found in Alaska that's been the most helpful? Yeah, and I would say whether it's Alaska or even hunting this country, I think number one is your, your feet, taking care of your feet so you got to have boots that you know work well for you um and then a good sock system you might you know if your feet bug you you might need some insoles so what i what i do is i i have canatrek boots is what work really well for me and i typically get the non-insulated unless it's really cold but my feet usually don't get too cold and i can always put an extra pair of socks on so I, I rarely use insulated unless i'm gonna be think i'm gonna be sitting a lot uh, and you know i mean the alaska hunts i've done have been earlier they've been in august i haven't done any in september i, I need to go back in september and get a moose one of these days and you know that case i might bring my 400 gram uh, insulated can of treks but uh, and then as far as my my socks go i usually wear a pair of um, wool ankle socks and then over the top of those, I'll wear um, just some good good socks, whether they're Stone Glaciers or First Lights or I've got uh, QU or, you know, any of them. They, they're all good socks. And so I'll, that's usually what I'll do is I'll have my ankle socks. Just that, that helps my – it just helps with a little, little layer of extra protection. And when my socks moving, it's usually my socks are moving together versus my feet and my sock. And I still typically get blisters, you know, the first couple days, just because I, first part of hunting season, once I get broke in, I'm broke in, but I usually get a couple just because my feet aren't quite used to it. And then I'll bring, um, uh, some, it's not moleskin, but it's like moleskin, uh, man, you can look them up on, on, uh, Amazon, just look for like blister, but they, they, you, you put these, these, if you get a blister, you can put those on your blisters and, uh, and it becomes like part of your skin. So when I was in Alaska last year, I had a pretty bad hot spot um, right on my arch, and it ended up being a big old blister, and it was painful. And I, I just put that put that on, and within you know half a day, it was like became part of my skin, and I was good the rest of the trip. So number one is the feet. Take care of your feet, 
every night, dry out your boots as good as you can. Your feet are almost always wet when you're in Alaska. At least my experience has always been that way. So dry out your feet, you know, make sure, and if you can, if there's, if you can get to a stream, wash your feet off. That helps keep them healthy. And, um, yeah, hang your socks up and uh, just, that, so that'd be number one, I, I think, for enjoying your hunt is take care of your feet. And then uh, have a good layering system. Um, stay dry if it starts raining, put your rain gear on right away and uh, do your best to stay dry. Make sure you have gear that even if it does get wet, you're still warm. Um, a lot of the gear these days, you know, uh, a lot of the King stuff, I, I wore King's uh, preacher pants up there. And then I wore their layering system. I had like a merino wool shirt and, and their, anyway, their, their other, I can't, I don't know all their names, but their layering system, and it worked really well. And then I had a, a puffy, their puffy worked really well. And then actually the rain gear I used was, um, Gore-Tex and, uh, the Sitka Gore-Tex top. And then the pants, the, the rain gear pants I wore was actually strong, stone glacier pants. And uh, my stone glacier pants actually got me wet. They sent me a new pair, and I haven't tried them in that kind of condition again because I haven't been back to Alaska. Or, you know, we're so dry here uh, that it's hard to test rain gear. But really, you got to have really good rain gear, uh, especially if you're going to Alaska. Uh, but I'd have good rain gear no matter where you go. And, and if it really starts coming down, if you have a tarp or something, put that tarp up and keep yourself dry, right? So keep yourself dry out of the elements. And, um, and if because if you start getting cold... And uh, you get to where the, the, the most dangerous kind of cold is probably when you don't really realize you're cold. You're not shivering, but you're just, you're just cold enough. And over time, that's what leads to hypothermia usually. If you're shivering and stuff, that, that means you're, you are cold. Your body knows you're cold, and you're probably going to warm up from that. Um, but, you know, it can get scary if you're just the right kind of cold. And that's kind of how it was in Wyoming a couple of years ago when we were up there. We had to light that fire. I was, I knew, I knew I was, I wasn't shivering, but it was just cold. All oh, it was brutal cold. This cutting through, you know. And I had all my gear on, my rain gear on to keep the wind out to try to block the wind, and I was still cold. So we got that fire going, and that 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 kept us going, you know. And so if you, if you got to light a fire, light a fire. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean those are, those are kind of the main the main things. Um, uh, I always talk about having wipes with you, you know, if you've got to use a restroom or even just uh, just to stay clean, you know. You can do a, a, wet, a baby wipe bath. Yeah. And that keeps you going too, you know, um, those kind of things. And have some ibuprofen or whatever if you need to take some of that. Um, that that can be helpful. And then I like to have a little caffeine, you know, uh, if I need to take some of that or whatever, give me a little boost. Uh, I try to keep either some energy shots with me or some little Ignite, Mountain Ops Ignite package type stuff or Yeti. Uh, that stuff, you know, has helped me a bunch, especially when we we're hauling out that caribou and brown bear, for example, or the mule deer, you know, whatever. Um, even the doll sheep, and before we packed that off, I took one of those and got off the mountain and felt great, you know. Uh, so yeah, those are those are some of the main things. And then, you know, you, you, you have all your, your, your pack. You got to have a pack that fits you really good. I use a Stone Glacier pack in Alaska. I also like Mystery Ranch. I got a Mystery Ranch Metcalf that I really like. It's a little heavier than the Stone Glacier, but it is a really good pack. So a pack that fits you. Um, good optics with a good uh, bino cover. Um, I use the FHF gear one forever. I've used the Badlands one. Right now I'm using the uh, Marsupial gear one. I really like it. Um, just started using that one this year. So, yeah, I mean, how about you? What Anything you 
would yeah. add to that. Exactly what you said. I think I think if you can keep yourself comfortable, then you can keep yourself effective, right? Like oh. my dad is is famous for complaining every time we go. It's hilarious, but he also doesn't have the right gear to where he's just miserable all the time. It's like I would hate to go if I was miserable all the time too. Like he'll see like he sees the hunts that we'll go do in you know late November where we're hiking four or five miles in. It's like to somebody that would just think to go do that, like it would suck. Like if you didn't have the right gear. You'd be miserable the entire time. It'd be awful. But it's funny when you have the right kind of gear, like how horrible of a situation you can put yourself in and still be comfortable. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a good example. You go and work your tail off. You sweat your balls off, right, when you're going into a hunt like that up a steep mountain. And even if it's 20 degrees or 10 degrees or yeah. negative 5, you sweat like crazy. Mm-hmm. You get up there, you're sweaty. And that's where your gear really matters because you want gear that dries without you freezing to death, right? So you can get up there even though you're sweaty, put on other clothes over the top of it, and somehow it still dries out. Yeah. It's pretty cool. You know, I know that uh, I think I was watching YouTube and and Stone Glacier was showing some of their gear, and all these companies have great gear, right? And they have these guys in all their puffies and everything, and they jump into a river, a freezing cold river, and they have to get out, get in their sleeping bags with all their gear still on, and, uh, and then, you know, heat up some water and stuff, to tra- and they're all freezing to death, right? But they heat up this water and get in their sleeping bags, and they just wait it out, and they get out, like, I don't know how long it is, maybe 40 minutes, 40 minutes, and they're dry. How does that work? I don't know, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the gear these days is, is it, you know, there's a reason why you want to spend the money on the gear. Yeah, totally worth it. Yeah. Yep. I hardly ever wear thermal, like thermal long underwear. I mean, it's got to be really cold for me to do that. I, I mean, I'll do it if it's in that bitter cold, but I hate hiking in thermals. I, yeah. don't, know, I don't know how you feel about thermals. But. I usually always wear them, but I also get, like, my feet get cold. Real, I have crappy circulation in my feet and hands. Yeah. So, like, I always, gloves, like, I keep gloves and extra wool socks in all of my packs. I mean, I always bring a pair of thermals. So, if I do feel like I need to get them on, I can, but I, I rarely... If I'm in a hiking hunt, now again, it's not, I mean, the majority of the hunts I've done that have been, I mean, when I'd hunt the Wasatch Front, it would be November, you know, and it would be cold, but I was moving enough that I didn't wear thermals. I yeah. would have sweated to death. You yeah. Know? That's usually the only time that I'll really, I, I wear them a lot, but I wear like the little tiny Kings ones. They're like tiny base layer. Yeah. I usually don't wear the thick thermals unless I'm just sitting somewhere. And if I'm just going to go sit somewhere and it's that kind of hunt, then I have insulated pants. Well, yeah, exactly. The, the, the puffies, right? Yeah. Puffy pants and the puffy. And th- those are everything. Like when you stop just a glass, just throw that over the top of your glass and you can put it to take it off real quick, stuff it yeah. in your pack. And the Kings pants are like, it feels like you're hiking in pajamas, but they're tough. Yeah. Like they're awesome. They really are. They really are. Kings has done a good job, man. They got their new XK7 out this year. It's a cool camel pattern. All these shots, they better send us some free stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? No kidding. Yeah. So anything else, Andrew? We covered all today? Probably. Everybody's so educated now on hunting steep and deep country. Hopefully hopefully yeah. there's some tips there. That we get at least 3% use. credit for all the big animals that die due to this information. <laughs> Whether it came from us or somebody else, it was us yeah. who said it first. Yeah. Hey, be, in, be in shape. You know, I was watching... Uh, I can't remember where it was. It was I think it was one of the gritty one of the gritty uh Brian Call YouTube. He's an Have you ever seen his stuff? Yeah, he's and a I, stud. I was watching one where they're doing a bear hunt and they, they on the bottom of the, the canyon there's a river and they bring they pack their own rafts in. You see that one? Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like little two man rafts. That's pretty legit. Yeah. I look at that guy, man, that, that's 
Damn. I've been trying to convince like three <laughs> different guys to go. There's this spot in Colorado. It's the worst experience of my life. We were hunting and hunting like crazy, and we got like three days in, and I didn't have the right gears. I was miserable. My other two buddies had already tagged out. So we're going to go try this little pocket, and there's we could, it was like a two-mile hike to get to this spot. So we're driving up, and this buck, we can see this buck coming off this hill. It's like 28 wide, freaking sweet buck, big four-point, huge eye guards, heavy, probably like 180-inch deer. And he comes down, and... I get out my Onyx to see where he is. He's on public. So I'm like, we can kill him. Yeah. And I could not, it, but I couldn't get off the road because we were on private. And so it was a little landlocked piece. It was landlocked by four <laughs> feet. So I figured we'd go, but we couldn't. It was landlocked. Couldn't get there. Yeah. But you could float. There was a river that went through and there was like a five foot section. So we could go up the river. We'd had to float down the river for two miles and then get out, kill him, and then float down the river another mile to get out. You know, it'd probably be handy to have one of those rafts. Yeah, but it was the dumbest thing because we're, we're like 200 yards off of a road looking at this deer. And yeah. It's like I'm going to have to go float a river for three miles to actually kill him, but... Well, that's what's cool about watching those hunts is these guys are hunting in areas where there's no way other guys are going to hunt. They're at least not going to kill some of the stuff they kill because they're hunting one side of the mountain, spot some on the other side, have to go down, ride the raft across this freaking raging river, and they're like practically, I mean, it looks like they're practically getting turned over and losing, yeah. <laughs> and drowning, and they do it multiple times, right? It's cool. Animals. Really cool. So uh, one of these days, maybe uh, we'll have to get crazy and go do something like that. I'd love it. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I don't know, so... Maybe maybe there's a listener out there that says, "Hey, I'll take you guys. I know I know how to use those rafts properly." We'll give you four dollars. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> anyway, well, cool, man. Well, uh, good luck on your elk hunt this week. Yeah, we'll smack something. Yeah, I'm excited to see some pictures on that. Brad Dana killed a a monster Freaking Rocky tank. Mountain Rocky Mountain Bighorn uh, last week. Or the, yeah, last week, last week, last Wednesday. A uh, really good ram, and then uh, our buddy Josh Harris, he hunted like two weeks and just no shooter stone sheep for him yet, but he's on call to get back up there. Hopefully they can find some. We we had a couple of uh, our members go up. Jim Bonanno's up there right now. I have not heard, um, but our first, uh, um, one of our other members went up two weeks prior to him and got a really nice stone sheep, and they had a, they had a tank spotted for Jim, so hopefully they're getting on that and uh making that happen so anyway i want to wish all of you uh, happy hunting this hunting season and hope you're doing well be safe uh get your family out with you if you got family get your kids out there with you if you got kids that want to go yeah that's my goal this year is to go kill a a nice buck with uh, my boy so um, he's only eight but i'm going to do my best to get out there and spend some time doing that and then uh, uh, most likely going on an elk hunt in mexico here in a couple weeks i got i got to find out my dates but Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, and we will catch you all next time. We'll see you.